when we talk about practice, we talk about this, this, you know, David talked about last week. He said every day is more important than the big day. There are going to be big days in our life where there are flat out battles, right? And we have to be able to practice for the big day. Every day is bigger than, the, uh, bigger than the big day, right? So, or more important than the big day. And how do we practice our faith? How does that happen, right? And so today we're going to be talking about how to engage our mind. Now, uh, when I was, um, um, when I was a, I think middle schooler, I got my first CD, my first compact disc. Who remembers what their first CD was that they ever bought, right? Anybody remember what their first CD was? Okay. Awesome. Uh, and I, my first CD was Hootie and the Blowfish Cracked Review. All right? Anybody else have that album? Anybody? Okay. It was a great, great album. I think it was destined to come to Charleston because, uh, because I had that album as my first one, right? And uh, Hootie and the Blowfish, fantastic. I knew every word or at least every word that you can understand from the album. And, uh, and so <clears throat> uh, I, I just knew every word. And I went to youth group, though, and, uh, or youth group, my, my church youth group, and there was a time when, uh, I mean, Every kind of secular music or worldly music, anything that was not Christian music was bad music and you shouldn't have it. It was sinful, it was wrong, it was evil. And you should burn it. You should throw it away, get rid of it. The only thing that is acceptable is, uh, is Christian music, right? And so, um, and so I had this reluctant thought where we, um, we had this retreat where there was a bonfire and we were supposed to bring all of our bad secular music and we were supposed to throw it in the fire. And reluctantly and begrudgingly, I took my first Hootie and the Blowfish CD and threw it in the fire. And I had to replace it uh, and, and with, with only Christian music. Now, the only good Christian music back then, uh, well, I thought, was, was this guy named Carmen. I think we have a picture of Carmen. This is what... Uh, uh, that's who I was, uh, there you go, that guy. Um, anyway, uh, it, uh, that was pretty much all I had to deal with. Now, I went to college, you can take that out so it's not distracting to all the women out there, because I know. Uh, okay, so anyway, the, uh, when I got to college, though, uh, there was the, a different refrain altogether. It was, freedom in Christ, you can listen to anything you want to, uh, all things are redeemable. There's good in everything. Uh, you just need to find that good. And so it's, it's totally okay for you to experiment with any type of music, movies, entertainment, whatever. We're going to find the good in whatever is out there, okay? And, and so I, you know, I bought that album right back. I was like, yes, I'm going to have my Hootie and the Blowfish CD back because, uh, because I can have freedom in Christ, yes. And so I think that the pendulum kind of swung back the other way and eventually it landed right in the middle. I was Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was right riding in my car with Reagan in my back seat, and one of the songs from that album comes on, and I'm like so excited. I love that album, and I turn it up, and she's like, Daddy, what is this? I'm like, this is one of the greatest albums of all time, and uh, you know, of course, like as soon as I say this, uh, he, it gets to the part of the song where it says, now I was wasted, and I was wasting time. That's what he says in the, in the album, and I'm like, oh shoot, and I turn it back down, <laughs> and, uh, and it's just terrible, and so I, um, so I have to kind of figure, there's this bad of do we reject the culture? Do we receive the culture? What do we do with this? It's a battle for our mind. Now, what I know is, is that uh, it, it's a little bit tough. And here's why it's tough. Because uh, the battle for my heart, my, my gut, my soul is already won. I understand that Jesus has saved my life. And he's done that once and for all. And that is settled here. But I also understand that the battle for my mind rages on every single day. 
And so we have to know as Christians, how are we going to uh, discern in our culture what, is, uh, what, what we should receive, what we should reject, and that's going to take a good bit of practice, okay? Because we will come up on battles in our life where it will be difficult. Some, a lot of decisions are easy, what do we receive, what do we reject, right? Some of the, and, and, and God has gifted us the ability to have an intellect, to have a mind in which we should practice making right decisions so that when a very difficult or confusing decision comes up, a significant battle, we will have had enough practice to know how to react in the game, so to speak, okay? So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Now we're almost done with our study through, through Philippians. This is a book uh, written from prison, from, uh, uh, from the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Philippian church, a church that he absolutely loves. Uh, and he's actually coming to the end here. And you can see the first word is finally. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Okay? So he's going to, get, he's going to build for us kind of a, uh, a framework on how to think in this battle for our mind. Now, I'm going to rewind the tape a little bit. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. But Genesis chapter 1, God creates the entire world. Creates everything that you see. Creates the earth. Creates the water. Creates us. And he places Adam and Eve into a garden, perfect world, everything is awesome, beautiful, Uh, it's just wonderful. And he places a tree in the garden and he gives Adam and Eve a commandment that says, you can eat of any other tree except for this one. And uh, he expects obedience at that point. Of course, Adam and Eve decide, you guys know this, they decide that they're going to rebel against God's commandment and say, you know what, we're going to do what we want. We want to become just like God. And so we're going, to receive, we're going to receive of this tree, we're going to take of it, and immediately that is when sin comes into the world. And because they are our first parents, that sin has been passed down to us. We all have this kind of disease of sin. Every single one of us, I think we can willingly admit that there is something wrong with the human race, or something wrong with you and I, and we can, we can admit this pretty easily, right? And so we are all, to a certain extent, rebels or enemies of God. But the good thing is, is that the gospel tell us, tells us that Jesus came, uh, we celebrate this at Christmas, came as a baby, came as a human being, uh, ma- was made like us, right? And then uh, lived a perfect sinless life to then uh, be crucified on the cross for our sins in our place. He, he put himself in the place where we should have, st- where we should have stood. Uh, and then he, he dies in our place. Then he resurrects again three days later so that we might have eternal life with him. That's the gospel story, right? And so uh, now we live in, we, everything should be perfect, right? If we become a believer, there shouldn't be any problems. There shouldn't be any sin anymore. Uh, the world should be a perfect place. We all know that that's not true. But isn't Jesus, didn't Jesus take care of sin once and for all? Absolutely, yes, or did. And why is there still, still sin right now? 
And it's because that we live in this time between the, the crucifixion and death and justification of Jesus and then, when, and, and then the consummation of the kingdom, which means when everything will be set right. And we live in this time period. It's very much like uh, if you were uh, during World War II, uh, the, um, the Americans took a, it took a long time for us to get involved in the conflict of World War II. Uh, the, the Nazis were pretty much decimating the world, uh, taking over almost all of Europe. Uh, and uh, it took us a little while. And then, of course, you know, Pearl Harbor. We, we just actually had Pearl Harbor Day this past weekend. Uh, and, and that's when America decides to kind of get itself in gear and get engaged into the war. Uh, and then June 1944 uh, was D-Day. D-Day was probably the, the largest military advancement in the history of the world. Uh, thousands upon thousands were involved in this. Uh, of course, we stormed the beaches of Normandy. And, and historians will say that D-Day was basically the inauguration or the beginning of the end of the war. But there was an entire year until Victory in Europe Day or VE Day in May of 1945. And during that year was the greatest amount of life loss in the entire war. Even though historians will say D-Day was basically the end of the war, it wasn't until a year later where the war officially ended. We live in this time period where Jesus has come, he has died for our sins. It is the, it is the beginning of the end. We know what is going to eventually happen. It, that is already solved. And we are waiting for the day when there will be a VE day, so to speak, uh, for, uh, for the church, okay? And so, but, so, and that is why what I say is the battle for my heart is settled. And you might live in that truth too, where the battle for your heart is settled. You know Jesus, you're walking with him, and you're waiting for the day when everything will come together. And that's why the battle still rages in your mind. There's some confusion, some stress, some anxiety where we still battle back and forth uh, with sin. Okay? So here's what I want to do today. I want to give us some kind of practical truths that we'll learn from Paul in these couple verses. I want to give us some practical truths on how we can, en- we can engage the battle in our mind right, in our intellect, because our heart is settled, but the battle rages here, and I want to make sure that we can have some tools uh, to engage our intellect and to practice our faith for the battle. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. Cool, very good, okay. Uh, How do we practice for the battle? Number one, embrace, here it is, embrace whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. I didn't get that myself, I just copied it straight out of the scripture, all right? Embrace whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. What this is, is it is a giant filter for our mind and what we think about. That we look at our culture and we see everything. Notice the word there. Whatever, whatever is pure, commendable, praiseworthy, excellent. Right? It's not just some... Now, here's the deal with the church. Sometimes the church gets a pretty bad rap, and I'm pretty sure that we do this to ourselves, as we are, we are the group of people that's against everything. We don't like that. We don't like this about our culture. We don't like that. That's bad. That's evil. That's wrong. That's sinful. You need to come to Jesus. When in fact, our calling as a church is to look at whatever in our culture and use this filter to decide and to discern what is pure and good. Because there are things that don't necessarily have anything to do with God, but because we are image bearers of God, we recognize as beautiful and lovely. There are good things in our world that don't have anything to do with the church. 
There is music. There is art. There is work. There is labor. There are inventions. There, is, there are books that have been written. There are novels that have been told that are beautiful, that are worthy of commendation and worthy of the church to say that is a good representation of the image of God. And we just need to be discerning about those things. So he says, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. So here's a case study for you. We're in the Christmas season. And parents are wondering, because the battle rages on Facebook mostly, right? About Santa Claus. What do we do with Santa Claus? Do we receive Santa Claus as, hey man, this, this guy, I mean, it's fun. Uh, he's, uh, he's, you know, cre- there's some creativity there. He's joyful. It's talking about giving. And um, I mean, you got this guy who shows up in your house and he's this old fat guy who, you know, gives presents from a sweatshop of a bunch of small people. Uh, but I mean, he, he gives gifts uh, and, and, that's, and that's a glorious and wonderful thing. I mean, it's ethical, right? He, he desires for children to sleep. Amen, right? And, and, and so uh, that, that's a good thing, right? And so that's the reception culture. Then there are others, and you've seen these folks, and you might be one of them. It's the rejection culture. Why would you purposely lie to your children about a myth? Why would you tell them something that, that's not true? I mean, isn't, I mean, isn't Christmas about, isn't, don't let me scare you. Okay, isn't Christmas about, uh, you know, giving, not receiving. Isn't, isn't Santa Claus just all about giving kids gifts and we, they receive all this stuff? Isn't Christmas just about Jesus? So there's the rejection culture. Let me share with you about where we fall on these things using this filter, okay? So where Adrian, fall on, Adrian and I fall on this because it's a constant conversation with us. We have preschoolers. Uh, and so for, for us, we look and, and kind of study what this whole thing is about. And we learn that Santa Claus comes from uh, a, uh, a real story of a real man named Nicholas. And you might know him as Saint Nicholas, right? He actually did live around 300 AD. He was a pastor. He loved Jesus. Uh, and he also took care of orphans and children. Uh, and so, uh, and what he would do, and this is where a lot of this stuff streams from, is he would, at night, he would, as they're stockings or socks hung by the fire, he would often give them gifts inside of their stockings. That's how he would provide. He would give them food and stuff like that inside of their socks. That's what he would do. It's kind of fun. Uh, this story is, is not really well known, but what, one of the things that Nicholas would, would do is that he would, uh, there was three uh, girls that were in his care and uh, they didn't have parents and so therefore they didn't have a dowry. And if you didn't have a dowry in that day, that means that you probably weren't going to get married and you were probably going to be left to the sex trade or, uh, or prostitution. And so he didn't want that to happen to these girls and so he paid out of his own pocket a dowry, which would have been very significant, uh, and he, would have paid, he paid that for them so that they did not have to enter into the sex trade, which is pretty cool. He also was part of this, this is St. Nicholas, he was also part of, um, uh, he was a bishop, and then he was part of a, a council called the Council of Nicaea, which means that he was uh, a part of uh, a, a decision-making body that came together and said, you, we can prove that Jesus really did, uh, really did exist, really did uh, rise from the grave, and therefore really is divine. He was part of the council that came together and affirmed that truth. So, Nicholas was a pretty important character. He really did live, and he really was a good person. 
who did some of the things. Now, there's a lot of folklore now. There's a lot of myth that has been added onto that. And so what do, what do we do as a family? We, we are okay with people dressing up like Santa Claus. That doesn't, that doesn't harm our family. That would be the same thing. We, we tell our children, St. Nicholas really did exist. He is in heaven with Jesus now. And one day when we get to heaven, we will meet St. Nicholas. And people like to dress up like him. And that's a fun thing, just like you like to dress up like princesses and pirates and other things like that. And it's, and it's a good imaginative exercise. And that's okay. And so on Christmas Day, me and Adrian fill our, fill our kids' stockings with little tiny gifts, just like St. Nicholas did. And so what we're trying to do is use a filter to, uh, to celebrate what is pure, what is good, and what is, what, what is, uh, what is commendable and praiseworthy. So that's, and, that's just, and, and that is a good bit of work, right? It's, it's a good bit of work to engage. And you're like, wow, that's, that's a lot of historical study you just did there. Yeah, it's a little bit of work. You have to, do, you have to be a little bit disciplined to work on these kind of things uh, so that you make sure that you're discerning correctly, which is number two. Embrace, embrace what is true, noble, all those things. Embrace, but be discerning. Embrace, but be discerning. Use discernment. There is most of us think we just have two options. We can either receive it wholeheartedly or we can reject our culture. But what we should understand as Christians is there's a third option where we discern, where we filter. We look at these things and we think about them. See, in Paul in verse 8 says this, think about these things. What he means there is not just think deeply about them. Just think harder. Like sit there and think about them. That's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying reckon them, Right? Or you could say, um, take into account, or more practically what he's saying is, when he says think about these things, he actually means bringing our mind into alignment with the mind of God. Let me say it again. When he says reckon or think about these things, he's saying bringing our mind and our thoughts into the mind of God and bringing them parallel to one another, okay? And so, <clears throat> because most people think that the Christian experience is very emotional. David said this last week, that our, that our lives should not be wrought with emotionalism, that our, the truth that we know about God is not just circumstantial, or, you know, ebbs and flows upon our emotions, that we should know specific truth that will anchor our lives and these are the things that we are to think about. We should, we should use our intellect as a tool. I love this. John Piper says this. He's a pastor up in Minnesota. Uh, good quote here. It says this. The intellect exists to throw logs into the burning furnace of our affections for God. Let me say it again because it's a big quote. The intellect exists to throw logs into the burning furnace of our affections for God. Jesus has worked inside of our soul and our heart and our life. Our intellect, where the battle rages, exists so that we can throw giant logs into the fire of our affections for Jesus. We shouldn't be mindless Christians. We shouldn't be lazy Christians, where our heart is just the only thing that, that, that is involved in our Christian life. It should be our mind as well. And so I want to give you a couple things, just kind of handles or practical things in which you can engage your mind for your Christian faith. Okay? Are you ready? Number one, uh, I want you to read the Bible for deeper truths. Read the Bible for deeper truths. This is more than just everyday reading so that you can grab a little morsel from God to get you through the day. 
okay? A lot of people read the Bible just so they can get through the day, kind of have a positive thought. But if we want to engage our intellect, we have to read it for some deeper understanding and theological thought. Let me give you an example from my own life. Um, so I, I became a believer when I was 10 years old. I led to the Lord when I was in Sunday school at my church. And, but I struggled immensely with doubt. I always struggled with, am I really a believer? Am I really a Christian? Did God really save me? And I would struggle because oftentimes my life did not align with my faith. And so I would, oft, I would go through my week, have struggles. I would sin. I would have problems. I would do wrong things. And I would believe that God would let me go. That, that God didn't like me anymore, didn't love me anymore, and so therefore I had d- tremendous doubt in my heart. And I really don't think I'm the only one that struggled with that. And so almost weekly, when I was a student through middle school and high school, almost weekly when the youth pastor would give kind of a prayer of salvation, do you want to come to Jesus, do you want to know God, I would pray that with him, and I probably became a Christian a couple hundred times when I was a student. And because I, I really struggled with doubt about my faith. It was, and I actually committed to ministry having this problem. And then it, during my first year in college, when I was studying the deeper truths of the scripture, I finally recognized in the scripture that God gave me salvation and I didn't earn it. That there was no part of me that earned my salvation. There was nothing that I did that made God love me. He already did. And he gave me salvation and I received it, not of my own doing. The Bible says that specifically. And that because I didn't earn it, there was nothing I can do to unearn it. That God was stronger than I was and he was going to hold me tighter than I could run. And so I only understood that by getting deeper into the scripture. Not just going for the tiny like coffee cup morsel of truth just to get me through the day. It took me a lot of months to study the scripture and find that out. And now when a, when a gospel presentation is given, I just thank God for saving me. Knowing full well that even in, even in my sin, he has saved me and holds me tight. But that only comes through some deeper scripture study. Second thing. Second thing that you can do is read some good Christian books and resources. Read some good Christian books and resources. Uh, now, uh, there is so much great material that I want you to grab onto. Uh, we put a book table out there, not so that we can make money. We don't, that, you guys pass by that book table on Sundays. Uh, we don't make money on that. We just buy those books from Amazon and we sell them to you at the same exact cost. There's no, uh, we just want those resources to be available to you at the cheapest possible price because we believe that those will help you. Uh, so I would encourage you to take a look at some of the books on that resource table. Uh, there's all sorts of other resources that you can get out there just to kind of uh, just go deeper into your walk with Christ. I would encourage you to do that. Now, I'll, I've heard this. This is what I've, uh, I hear this actually pretty regularly. Charlie, I'm just not a reader. I can't read. I can't sit down and read. That's not who I am. I, can, I am just not a reader. You don't understand. And that's very similar to a 400-pound man saying, I'm just not an exerciser. All right? I just can't, I can't do it. No, it, you just, it's not that you're not a reader, it's that you're undisciplined. And you haven't disciplined yourself to actually sit down and challenge your intellect. And so I would challenge you guys, pick up a book, spend some time, quarantine off, make sure that you, make sure that you get a good book and challenge yourself to read. If you read, tw- you, most of the people who struggle with the I, I don't like to read will spend 30 minutes in front of Facebook reading their newsfeed. <laughs> 
right? And so if you read, this is, good, this is a good kind of uh, gauge. If you read 20 minutes a day, you'd finish about six to eight books a year. So I really challenge you to engage your intellect by reading some good books, okay? Here's another just uh, handle that you guys can get a hold of. Uh, replace, this is engaging your intellect, replace your sinful thought life with a righteous thought life. Replace your sinful thought life with a righteous thought life. Remember, we don't drift into godliness. That never happens, right? We don't drift into it. It's not up in one day we're just going to decide to be godly. That doesn't happen. We have to be dedicated to it and think about uh, godly things. Now, here's the deal. Our mind is a vacuum. There is not a time ever in your entire life, this is how God has wired you, where there is nothing in your head. You are always thinking about stuff. Now, you might look at a teenage boy and say, there's nothing happening in that head, I can guarantee you. But, I, but it is true, there, you are always thinking. Then there are either righteous thoughts or there are sinful thoughts. And, just, and, and you can come to church and you can hear the preacher and you can hear him say, you need to fix your thought life and get rid of the evil thoughts that are in your brain, right? And you're just like, okay, I'm just going to get rid of evil thoughts and maybe I'll just be neutral, that's not how it works. We have to replace righteous Christ-like thoughts if we're trying to get rid of, if we're trying to get rid of something that is evil or sinful. It has, to, it has to be a replacement mechanism. Now for guys, listen to me. What do we think about all the time? We think about sex a lot, right? It happens, right? And, I mean, somebody's got to think about it or we wouldn't procreate, right? So um, it, it's, it's important for, that God has given us desire for us to think about these things. It's not a bad desire if it, is, if it is pointed and focused in the right direction, right? We should have redeeming thoughts about our spouse. That should fill our head, not some kind of other thought about some other woman or some other man that is in our, that is in our thought life. We need to replace it with exciting, fun, wonderful things about our spouse, Right? You might have somebody at work that you really don't like. Right? This person ticks you off, frustrating. It is hard to think good thoughts about this person. Like, I mean, before you're even getting to work, I mean, this person is consuming your thoughts, life, because it's so frustrating. Right? How do you redeem that thought pattern? The same gospel that is true for you is also true for them. And they might be frustrating because they're really struggling through life. And God has sent you as a missionary to them to teach them the truth of the gospel. So you, by replacing thoughts in your head of evil, sinful thoughts of, of anger and frustration towards them, maybe should be replaced with kindness, compassion, missionary thoughts towards them. And it might change your entire outlook at the office. We have to be able to replace our sinful thought life with a, a righteous thought life. So here we go. Uh, the the fir- first thing I says, you know, embrace whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Number two, embrace but be discerning. And number three, Paul says, this, embrace the God of peace. Embrace the God of peace. 
to engage our thought life. Now I'm going to jump back a couple verses. You don't have, you, if you've got a Bible in front of you, I'm going to jump back. It's going to be up on the screen. Verse 4 through 7. It says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, circle that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A lot of us are looking for peace. A lot of us are looking for peace. And our hearts long for it because we're struggling with anxiety, guilt, shame, worry. And we're strung out. Our brain is fried. We're tired. We're emotionally exhausted. And so maybe you you are here And you might be at church because you recognize that this is a place where kind of peace is dispensed. That you see some people in our neighborhood who might come to this church or go to church in general who seem generally peaceful. And you're like, I kind of want some of that. And what they'll tell you is that that peace comes from God. And so we get to the place where we're just like, okay, if God is the dispenser of peace, I'm going to stand there with my hands open and say, okay, God, can you give me enough peace for today just so I can get through the day? As if God was, you know, way up in the sky and so far away and that he throws little mor- morsels of peace at us when we need them. As if we are the dog at the table of God hoping that some kind of, some kind of character of him just falls off the table so that we can gobble it up. But in verse 9, it says, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. See, we mistakenly think that God just wants to shower some things down at us from high above the sky. That he's going to kind of just give us some peace when we need it to get through our day, like a coffee cup or something like that, right? We're just like, here's some peace so you can get through this week or whatever. I want to make sure that your stress level is at an adequate level. Instead of going for the scraps at the bottom of the table, what God says is, I want to be with you. And so he says, I don't want you to feed on the scraps on the floor. I want to bring you up into my, in, into my lap so that you can feast with me at the table. I want to be with you. I want to be present with you. The peace of God is found in the presence of God. And so we have to understand that it, it's, it's not just the, the, these characteristics of God that he wants to share with us. He wants to be with us. And so what you might be looking at, you might be seeing in other people saying, oh, that guy looks peaceful. I might want to hang out with him. Or I have to go to his church because I guess that's where peace comes from. And maybe I'll, you know, a little, it's a little osmosis. It'll just rub off on me. When God is saying, I want to give you myself. I want you to be with me. I want to be with you. That's where peace comes from. And it changes you from the inside out. And so I hope that today, if you have never had this kind of transformation of heart, remember I said said that the battle has been won for my heart and the battle still rages in my mind. I want that same thing for you. So if you're in this room today and you're thinking, you know, I, I just, I'm just at the, I'm, I'm at the floor of God and I, I'm, I'm asking for a morsel of peace. I hope that you would understand that it is available for you to sit in his lap and just know him and be present with him.
That's available for you through the person of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. And so I want you to know that. Now, believer, if you've been transformed, so today there's a couple action steps for you. I hope that you'll see that filter, that you can engage the culture, not just reject and, re- and receive, it's, it's discern, okay? So I want you to use that filter in your intellect a little bit. I want you to engage, maybe get a reading repertoire, maybe, maybe ask deeper truths of the scripture when you're studying them. I want you to engage your mind so that it can throw logs onto the, to your affections for Christ. Okay, so a lot of you got some marching orders this week to make sure that you're engaging your mind. If you're not a believer in this room, all you need from this, from this entire day is to understand that the God of peace wants to give you peace in your life. And he wants to do that through a relationship with you. And so I would hope that maybe you would ask somebody today, hey, how can I get this relationship? You might want to ask me at the back of the room. I would love to speak with you about that. You might want to ask a friend that you came with. I would love to, for, that, for that relationship to happen. But we have an opportunity for you to know the peace of God. Okay, let's pray together. God, we love you so much. We're grateful for your peace. We're grateful that you have asked us to engage our minds at a very deep level. Um, Father, I pray for the believers in this room that the battle for their heart has been settled a long time ago through the justification of Jesus. And now I ask that as the battle rages in their mind, that, uh, that, that you would just be present with them, that they would be strong, that they would, that they would fill their affections with you. And that their heart would burn white, hot, white, hot flame because of how you are engaging their mind. Help us to be discerning Christians, Father. Help us to be a discerning church, to know how to react and, uh, and, and, and receive a lost world into our church so desperately needs you. So God, we love you today. We do recognize that you are great and that you are good. Thank you for the words uh, that, we've, that, that we've already sung today. We're thankful that you are a great God and we worship you. Amen.